Calvin, John Calvin said that the human heart is an idle factory and that uh, we are constantly looking at things to replace God. And that's just how we are. So uh, we're going to dive in with uh, fearlessness to this because the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, helps us to recognize, confess, remove, be healed from all kinds of different idolatry. And so we're going to dive into that starting next Sunday. And um, this uh, morning, as we close uh, on the study of Jonah, we're actually going to uh, begin the process of looking at idols because today in chapter 4 of Jonah, part of the story that almost nobody ever talks about, we get caught up with the fish, but we don't get, we don't get the full story. But today we're going to see... <clears throat> How Jonah's heart has been invaded by idolatry. And uh, it's going to be a great warm-up for us to both finish this series and and start uh, into the next series. And we're going to see how God lovingly comes into Jonah's life and heals him or begins to heal him of uh, this thing by exposing him. So let's dive into Jonah chapter 4. You can open your Bibles there. I'm going to be uh, reading the whole chapter this morning. So here's the word of God. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. This, of course, is the repentance of all the Ninevites that happened at the end of chapter 3. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? These are the very words of God. So Jonah's spiritual journey through this book 
has been painfully slow. In chapter 2, he's rescued from the fish and spit out onto dry land. And now in chapter 4, God is still working on Jonah and Jonah's heart is still, still hard. It's interesting in this passage, I don't know if you noticed this, but 10 times in this passage, Jonah says either I or me. 10 times. And God says I only once. And that, that ratio, brothers and sisters, is out of order, isn't it? Yes. Especially considering what's going on around him and the things that are happening to him. So he's experiencing all kinds of supernatural. He has been rescued by the fish. And now he's in the middle of this massive revival. And he's angry and sulking and he's complaining, and he wants to die. You know, it's interesting to ask the question about spiritual growth, because spiritual growth comes in fits and starts. And it is aided by the supernatural. Look at this story, guys. We've been in this story four Sundays. There have been ten major supernatural events in the book of Jonah. We've got the raging wind... We've got the sea going calm all of a sudden. We've got the sailors crying out to God. We've got Jonah being exposed by the falling of the lot to him. Uh, Jonah prays from the realm of the dead, repents. He's vomited to dry land, rescued by the fish. A reluctant sermon leads to citywide repentance. God provides a fast-growing leafy plant. God provides a worm that destroys the plant. And then God sends a scorching east wind. But in the midst of all this, Jonah's discipleship is not moving along very quickly. Which is kind of like us, isn't it? Our spiritual growth at times is, uh, even when God blesses us with something amazing, like a healing or some supernatural uh, gift, we still doubt, we still are resistant. We still, we still wait. Uh, we still wonder. And this is what's going on in Jonah. And this is the creator of the universe working with Jonah. Now, if you think about the discipleship survey we just did, we've got over 100 responses, so praise the Lord. And we're digesting the data now, and we'll get back with some findings. But one of the things that amazes me every year is that the number one sources of spiritual growth are not the Sunday sermons. They help, and most people say they help, but what really drives spiritual growth is obedience. Putting into practice what we heard on Sunday or what we read in the Bible. The other thing that drives uh, spiritual growth is intimacy with God. Time alone with God. And the other thing that drives spiritual growth is service. When we get out of ourselves and serve. And those are the things that you are reporting on your survey uh, that we just finished. And these are the things that Jonah is fighting every step of the way. So with all of this supernatural stuff going on, uh, I'm calling uh, this morning's message 
an encounter with our complex creator. Because that's exactly what it is. In the first five verses, the first, there's two movements in this last chapter. The first movement is this picture of Jonah responding to what is going on in Nineveh. Uh, the second, and, and here we see Jonah's heart exposed through really a surprising emotional collapse. And I'll, I'll unpack that in a minute. But then the second movement is God moves in towards Jonah and begins to discipline him in a firm but fatherly way to help him begin to have a heart of compassion for what uh, is going on and for who these Ninevites are. And there's some major barriers to that which we'll talk about. And then you have this abrupt ending where he's talking about animals. And, and then it ends. It, it's, a lot, it's a lot like the Gospel of Mark, which ends very abruptly. And this is a, I believe, a deliberate uh, decision by the author to open the story to us for us to step into the story. How are we like Jonah? How are, how are we reacting to the things that we're hearing? And so it invites us to step into the story and to apply the things we've been learning over the last uh, three weeks. So uh, I'm just going to pray. Father, as we think about this text, as we think about your relationship with Jonah, your relationship with us, uh, Lord, we believe this is in the Bible for a reason and that uh, you want to show us something here today. So God, I ask for open hearts that we would uh, look at our own hearts as God reveals Jonah's and as God reveals his own. And we pray that you would, uh, uh, Lord, have your way with each and every one of us today. Regardless of where we are in the spiritual journey, just getting started, trying to find out more about you, or those of us who have been walking with you for a while now, that you would uh, do what only you can do by the power of your word and your Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so you've got this surprising emotional collapse. Why do I say surprising? Because uh, if, if I were to preach a five-word message uh, in a foreign city and 120,000 people started repenting, um, that would be a home run. That would be a home run for any preacher. But here, Jonah uh, is absolutely melting down. In fact, in, in the first verse, he says, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. You know, that literally is, that was exceedingly evil. That's what, that's what those words mean. It was exceedingly evil. And Jonah became angry, actually furious. So Jonah is, is in this incredible sort of state of anger. He's like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. The, the younger brother uh, does all that horrible taking of his father's money and wasting the money uh, on prostitutes and whatever and comes home and the father <clears throat> forgives him and gets the coat on him and the party starts. There's a fattened calf, sandals, puts a ring on his finger um, and all along, the people are celebrating and partying, except the older brother. 
And the older brother is complaining and actually is seething and is actually really mad at his father for doing what he did to the son. And so at the end of the parable of the prodigal son, the party is going on, the father comes out and the father's pleading with the older brother, hey, we had to have a party because he was lost and now he's found. This this the heart of the father. To, to win, to, to woo, to bring those, those that are far from him home. And it is in that moment that we see that the older brother, who's actually a good, a good person, is actually seething at the father. And he has just as much hatred and disrespect for the father as the younger brother did when he asked for the inheritance. Same, same, same. So this older brother, Jonah, is sulking. Now, if we were doing an outreach, like at the Flying Pig, and if people started coming to us and kneeling down and asking us for prayer and weeping and everything, we'd, I, I hope we would be like, yeah, Lord, let's do it. Let's pray for these people. We'd be excited. We'd be... We'd be, we'd be uh, just all in to, to help those folks, to bring them in. Let's get some Bibles. Let's get some, let's get some bacon. Let's get some Bibles. Let's get, let's get them into the kingdom. Well, he's here, and rather than being in the city, following up, telling them more about this God who, who's, who's, who's relented from the punishment, he's, in fact, he goes over and he builds a shelter that's the same word as like the Feast of Tabernacles. So he's literally outside the city in his little religious hut. Okay? And he's waiting for God to pour out judgment on this city. That's how far gone his heart is. Ecclesiastes 7 says, Anger lodges in the heart of a fool. Now, if you are ever angry, listen up. Because there's something in your heart that's causing that anger. Anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion that is pointing to something inside that is being challenged or knocked over or or brought out of balance. In fact, he's so angry, he wants to die. If God doesn't do what he wants done, he'd rather die. So right now, the punishment of the Ninevites is higher on his list than God himself. Because if I can't have this, I'd rather die and be gone from you. That's, that's what he's saying. And in his heart, he's got nationalism. He's got some kind of prejudice, racial prejudice, Religious prejudice. He is self-righteous. He is self-righteous and he's filled with pride. Here's how much pride he's filled with. In verse 3, he says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. He's actually quoting the prophet Elijah. He is putting himself in the category of Elijah. 
It'd be like if I was throwing out Billy Graham quotes every Sunday morning. Like, this guy is no Elijah. Elijah preached his heart out and nobody changed. Nobody changed. And he was running for his life. Jonah doesn't really preach and everybody comes to Christ. He's not in the same league. There's a different thing going on and yet this is what he's wrapped himself up in this identity. I had a text exchange with a good friend of mine I've known for a long time. He's a believer. And we were commenting on some of the stuff that was going on when um, the uh, Iranian general was killed and then the Iranians fired rockets at the at the military base in Iraq where there was American servicemen. And uh, he just texted me. He says, I wish we would just send drones over and wipe those guys out. And he actually meant it. And it didn't even occur to him the next day to like write back, you know, that wasn't very godly or anything. It's like this, this patriotism, which is all well and good. Love of country is good. But when it crosses the line to wanting the destruction of other people, it has become an idol. Absolutely crystal clear, an idol of nationalism or self-righteousness. And then he, he takes a selective use of scripture and he only quotes the first part of Exodus 34. Um, and it's, it's, it's ironic that he does this, but he quotes the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. And he, and he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And he he doesn't realize that that's what God did for him. That's exactly what God, what God did for him in chapter 2, isn't it? Isn't it exactly what he did? And, and he's, he's waiting, and he doesn't, you know, and he's, he then says he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. And that all of that, that punishes the children and so forth. In other words, he's seeing selectively that the wrath of God belongs to my enemies and the mercy of God belongs to me and the other prophets and the other Jews. It's usins and demons. That's the mentality that he has. And so he is struggling because both he and the sailors and the Ninevites have been undeserved recipients, undeserving recipients of God's grace. You see, the sailors were saved. They didn't deserve it. The Ninevites are saved. They didn't deserve it. And Jonah in the fish was saved, and he didn't deserve it. And so we have the, the nature of God is confused in Jonah's mind. If we look at this little chart here, the kindness and the mercy of God is part and parcel of who he is. The severity and the wrath of God is part and parcel of who he is. It's both. And we can see that they actually fit under the attribute of his goodness. Because if someone is really good, then they are in fact going to show mercy to those 
that they want to show mercy to. There's going to be a part of them that is, there's going to be moments when they show mercy. But that very same goodness cannot tolerate evil. Cannot let evil go unpunished. And so that is who God is. We cannot understand the grace of God and the fact that he opens his love towards sinners who are opposed to him and brings us out of the pit and at the same time is a God of wrath who will punish evil, who will bring things that are wrong all to right. And that picture of the kindness and the mercy of God and the severity and the wrath of God, we can't separate. You can't understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he did for us without understanding that all those who are not responding to Jesus' grace are going to be eternally separated from him and punished consciously forever. And this is the nature of God. This is baked right into who he is. And we also cannot assume that God is for us and God is against everybody else. Whether, whether we're Democrats or Republicans or whether we're here and in America and, and the Chinese. Do you know that the fastest growing church in the world, I shared this on Vision Sunday, is in Iran. Okay, a country that is threatening Israel, it's threatening the United States, death to America, all that, has the fastest growing church in the world. They estimate out of the 57 million people who live there, there's more than 2 million that have come to Christ. And it's growing like a weed. Uh, and that, that is the grace of God. Now let's look at China, with whom our nation is struggling right now. China, in the last 50 years, has brought over 100 million believers. The Lord has brought over 100 million believers in China. It is in all likelihood that the church in China is bigger and stronger than the church in America. And that is the kind of God that we are talking about here in Jonah. It's interesting, this picture comes alive again if you look at the, the words of Jesus in, in Luke 11. In Matthew 12, I, I looked at on the first Sunday, Jesus compares his three days in the ground with Jonah's three days in the fish, right? Well, here in Luke 11, it's a different comparison. Here's what it says. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also with the Son of Man be to this generation. Then he talks about the Queen of the South and how she's going to rise in judgment because she listened to Solomon's wisdom and Jesus is greater than Solomon. But then he comes back to the Ninevites and he says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. Now in other words... The Ninevites that Jonah preached to on the judgment day are going to be 
with God because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But the Jews, the chosen people who rejected Jesus in the generation where Jesus is speaking, are going to be condemned. And so God doesn't have any favorites. When Joshua runs into the commander of the army of the Lord in Joshua chapter 5 and says, you know, are you with us or against us? The, the Lord said, neither. Get your sandals off. This is holy ground. And this is our God. He's a holy, completely unprejudiced, completely, completely just God whose wrath and whose mercy are part of his goodness. And so it'll be 150 more years and God's going to send Nahum, the prophet Nahum, to Nineveh and they will be condemned and they will be destroyed in 612 by the Babylonians. And they will be punished and judged. So this is the encounter with God now at the present time. How am I going to respond to the grace and the wrath of God? And so uh, this is how God wants us to react. You've heard me talk about Jim Elliott before and how he went to Ecuador to the Alca Indians and how he and Nate Saint and his rest of his team were all slaughtered by these savages. So here, here's a picture of Nate, Nate Saint with his family. Got that next one? Yeah, so here's a picture of Nate Saint and his family and his two kids, Steve and Kathy. Now look at this. This is obviously before he gets killed by these guys. Look at this next picture. This next picture is two of the men who killed Nate Saint and Jim Elliott are baptizing Nate Saint's children. All right? Nate Saint's son, Stephen, becomes a doctor. Next slide. He is lifelong friends with Minkaye, one of the men who killed his father. And now Steve, the doctor, has a grandson of Nate's or his son. And that child is being raised up in that village serving those people, or was when they were born. So this is a people who were slaughtered, but this Nate Saint family... They had the heart of God. They had a heart of God for the lost. So here's the application for this first movement. Some questions for us. Am I learning to love those who are far from God? Druggies, drunks, prostitutes. Am I involved in learning to love those who are far away from God? On the other side, what passions of mine are competing with God? Does the thing of nationalism or religiosity or pride or self-righteousness ring a bell? Have I put that higher up? And what makes me angry or despair? There, There were times in the early ministry here where when people would leave, I would get angry and despair. And I wouldn't always wish the best. It certainly depended on how they left. This is part of church life. But the idol being toppled in Dennis's heart when those people left was my pride and my reputation as a pastor. 
That's why I got angry. God has put you in this congregation and God has the right to move you to another congregation. Uh, We don't... Yeah. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. But when you're angry, there's, there's in all probability some kind of idol that's being toppled over in your heart that you don't like. And that's the opportunity to grow. That's, that's what Jonah has the opportunity to grow in here. Now, the second movement of the story flows from this exposure of Jonah's real heart to the Lord lovingly disciplining, testing, and challenging Jonah. And he's aiming to bring this guy to understand and have a heart of compassion uh, for these people who don't know the right from the left. And uh, the first thing he does is he grows this plant. This is, this is probably what Jonah's plant looked like. We can't be sure because of the Hebrew word being used there. But this is a castor oil plant common in that area. Grows exceedingly quickly. Um, provides shade. And uh, he gets the plant. He gets the grace. And he's very happy. Ah, great. And then, uh, very soon after that, the worm comes and he has a loss and he literally becomes suicidal. Jonah is actually a picture of that, of that shallow soil in the parable of the four soils. You got no root. It springs up quickly, but then the minute any kind of challenge comes, uh, folds up like a $2 suitcase. So, so Jonah is failing in the moment of difficulty or sacrifice. Now I just want to stop here and and give a little parenting lesson. God doesn't care if we hurt every once in a while. Because if he can, through the hurt, accomplish something of moving us towards him, then he's happy to use that. That might strike you as uh, very nasty, but that's part of his mercy and his severity is to bring us into his goodness. And so we need to know the difference between hurt and harm. When we discipline a child with a spanking, we are hurting the child. But we are trying to teach them a lesson that will prevent them from the harm of growing up thinking the world revolves around them. And all of the difficulty that will bring uh, when, it, when time comes. So here's how the Bible says it. it. It says in Hebrews 12, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God's heart for us is to do whatever it takes to bring us to be more like his son. If that needs some hurt, 
it avoids the harm of eternal separation. It avoids all kinds of problems. This is a perspective on God's heart and how he operates that we absolutely have to grasp. Jonah has not grasped this. Jonah is still in despair and wanting to die. But it is God's way. I want to read to you a hymn written by John Newton. It's from the section of John Newton hymns uh, called The Only Collection, number 36. And the title of this hymn that he wrote in 1779 is Prayers Answered by Crosses. I asked the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest.' Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, and laid me low. By the way, the word gourd there is how the King James Version translates the plant. So it could, it could be a castor oil plant or it could be a cucumber plant with these gourd-like things hanging down from it. But uh, that's how it's gourd. So he's, he's referring to Jonah here. John Newton is blasting my gourds, the things that I look to for comfort. There's another idol that Jonah is dealing with. It's the idol of comfort. All right. He blasted my gourds and laid me low. Lord... Why is this, I trembling cried, wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me. That is the grace and the severity of God, that he will take us through whatever is needed for us to learn the lesson. And God gave Jesus the biggest cross of all, didn't he? To come, and he was conserved for us. And that word in verse 11, should I not have concern for the great city, and that same word in verse 10, God is saying, Jonah... You have compassion on the plant. I have compassion on the people. But that word means more than that. It means, it means tears. It means pity. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, he cried over the city because he knew they weren't going to respond to him. And on the cross, he literally has the Father's heart. At the point of the greatest pain, just before his death, he has the Father's heart. And he basically cries out, Father, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they were doing. They don't know their right hand from their left, Father. They're lost, they're harassed, they're sheep without a shepherd. And this is the path that God has put us on. This is the path of what it means to follow Jesus. This is the essence of the gospel. 
that God in his severity destroyed his son so you and I might live. He extends grace to us and he punishes his son because his goodness is, an, is the driver of both of those. And they're both key to who he is. That is gospel perspective. So the application for this second movement is some questions. How do I respond to hardship and discipline? I hope today, from now on, it'll be, oh, I'm in pain, I'm angry, I'm disappointed. Must be something wrong with me. Not with God, but with me. Because he's good all the time. What might block my compassion for others? You know, when we enter into the lives of others, our compassion grows. At the men's breakfast last Saturday, there was a moment at the end where there was a coming together of the men linking arms and praying. And I've had people from New Mission and people from here giving testimony to that. That was special. That wasn't two churches awkwardly trying to figure out what we're going to be doing here anymore. It was brothers embracing and coming together under the love of the king. And you'll be blessed as you go over to visit this month. I encourage you to go. This morning, this sweet gospel choir was singing. Uh, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, and that lastly, do I weep for those far away from God? Do you know that in all of my prayers, I've only found myself weeping for people far from God twice? I'm asking God for more. Because it is absolutely awful what they're heading into. And that, that should, out of solidarity of being fellow human beings, that should make us cry. So God, make us cry. All right, so that brings us to the, this final piece. The abrupt ending is really an invitation to enter the story and to apply the lessons. And, and Jonah is like us, isn't he? He's a work in progress. He's the older brother. Uh, he's stuck in his own efforts sometime to earn salvation. One of the commentators on this passage said this, A Jonah lurks in every Christian heart, whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. He that has ears to hear, let him hear and allow the saving love of God, which has been outpoured in his own heart, to remold his thinking and social orientation. At this point, Jonah's heart has not changed. How about your heart this morning? As you are hearing this message this morning, as you are looking at your own heart and the things that make you upset, is there humility? Is there wonder? Is there a sense of mission? I got to tell other people about who this amazing God who died for me and what, what he has done for me and who he is. And that's the call of Jonah. It's a call to ruthlessly examine our hearts, to look at where these idols are creeping up in our hearts and to embrace the God who is both merciful and severe fully, to not, to not deceive ourselves as to who he is, 
that we are playing for keeps, that there is an eternal battle underway between good and evil, and that he is inviting us into that, and that only by his grace can we even have a hope of understanding anything that I've been saying this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never looked at it this way, you've never seen it this way, if, if, you've, if you've even felt, as I read this morning, that God's being a little hard on Jonah, it is likely that you have not experienced his grace. And all we can do in that is to cry out for mercy. All we can do is to cry out for mercy that God would give us the grace of Jesus Christ. And if you've been walking with Jesus and you know this grace, but you know, like Jonah, you've been getting hard. You've been getting hard around the edges. Then this story is in the Bible for us today. And actually in God's providence, it's the perfect story to look at before our next series in God's providence we did not have that figured out when we when we made the plan and you might be wondering what happened to Jonah you know we have this story in the book so if you think about it there's people who are witnesses to different part of the story but they're all pagans and they're all probably you know, those guys sailed off in the boat and Jonah was in the water. They, pro- they may not even know about the fish, the sailors. And then Jonah... In other words, I, I believe Jonah probably had to tell the story to somebody. And I, I don't know that he wrote this. It might have been written for him. But we have this story, I believe, because one day Jonah finally became trusting enough in God he finally became aware of how much God loves him and he had enough confidence in that to tell his story and look like a dang fool forever because this is this is like laying it pretty bare this is laying it pretty bare and if, if he did not have God's love and some comfort in that He might not have been able to do that. So the worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing a song to close. You know, uh, this this past week I met with an old friend. I've known him for 15 years. And he told me, and he grew up in the church, went to Christian schools, been in church the whole time I've known him. And he told me that For the first time in his life, he was actually saved. He actually registered that he was a lost sinner that had absolutely no hope if it weren't for Jesus coming for him and dying for him. And he now is absolutely rejoicing that he knows the grace of God. And we can't We can't experience the grace of God by praying to God and asking him into our hearts. All we can do is to repent and believe. To turn from our wicked ways and to believe. And uh, by his grace, he will respond to us. So what about us today? 
I have three questions. Has the saving love of Jesus changed you? How much of your self-worth is earned? How much have you earned of your self-worth and how much of it have you received? Because if you bank on what you've earned, that's worth nothing. But if you bank on what you receive from above, that's everything. And is your heart full of the Father's love? So we're going to sing a song and then I'm just going to come back and I'm going to bless us that God would pour out, the Father would just pour out on us His love, His heart. There's nothing we can manufacture. It's only what He can give us. So, Father, we turn to You now and we ask You to bring this home into our hearts. In Jesus' name, Amen. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morning, since there are many, His mercy is more. Will you stand with us in worship? With love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient on knowing he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea with a bottom ocean. Sins they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Could never 
us sins, they are many, His mercies. 